you can never see everything that's in the Scripture. That shows that it's not only alive, but it's the product of something bigger than your understanding. And even in heaven, obviously, our knowledge will be greatly expanded, but it will never become exhaustive. Yeah. We will never become omniscient. We will always be learning new things. And we get the first installment of that experience when we read the Bible. So yes, all the time I saw new things. Hi, and welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. Pleasure to get together with you. And the last time we got together with Ronnie Collier Stevens, he's become a friend of mine because of our time in this room, in the studio, where he comes and uh, records features for Pathway to Discipleship. It's a one-year journey through the book of John. And also a new feature that Ronnie is doing now called Rampart is a two-minute how would you describe this? You're just kind of kind of winging it, right? <laughs> it's just a devotional thought for two minutes, and I'm I'm sure people must think I'm winging it. But yeah, it's just two minutes of devotional thoughts. Well, on the other feature, you're actually pretty much reading verbatim as much as you can get in for the sixty seconds that we need. I am, and and I had generous friends who came up with that idea. Maybe it's not the best way to communicate. Just I think to read from a book because you know you could buy the book and read it yourself. But I'm grateful for the opportunity. Generous friends came forward and said, we want to pay for this. We want you to do it. So, of course, I was delighted. And we're more than excited to have your feature on the station and what you bring in teaching from God's Word, Ronnie. We really appreciate it. Last time we got together, we closed out by talking about your newest book, From Creation to Covenant. It's a year in Genesis, a devotional daily. It's kind of on the same pattern as your other book, Pathway to Discipleship, that you've written. Actually, there's two volumes through the Gospel of John. Hear that feature audibly here on the station, or you can always go to rampartpublications.com and get either of those two books. You can get all three of the books. All three of the books, yes. yes. And also locally in our bookstore at Second Presbyterian and Independent Press, these books are available. Correct. Last time we were kind of laying a foundation about your life growing up in Georgia, uh, playing football for the University of Georgia. Practicing. Practicing football, <laughs> okay, not pra- playing. Practicing. You were on the team, though. Got to wear that jersey. But memories of hanging out at the varsity, it's an incredible place to It's an Atlanta institution. It's yeah. right across the street from Georgia Tech. Exactly. Yeah. We were talking about the inspiration of both your mom and dad. Your your mom really helped lay in the home the, the faith, a life in Christ, what that meant, taking you to church. All went to church as a family. Is that right? We did, yeah. yes. I don't think we talked much about how you met Jane last time, your wife. You told me that you were starting seminary as a single guy. Was it in seminary that you met Jane? It was while I was a seminary student. Yeah, I think it was just lack of vigilance on her part. We were required at Dallas Seminary to do a, an internship, either missions or a pastoral internship. And my pastoral internship was done in a little town exactly in the middle of Lynchburg in Roanoke, Bedford, Virginia. Bedford produced uh, so many in the first wave at Normandy, hitting the beach on D-Day. They had the highest number of casualties of any municipality in in the United States. It's really a fabulous little town. And my host pastor that I was doing the internship under, who's still one of my best friends, he's 74 now, uh, he arranged for, he was from Richmond, and he arranged for a singles Bible study group to come to a nearby conference site called Eagle Irie. So Jane was in that group. She'd only been a Christian for two months. 
So I exploited her naivety, <laughs> and um, I didn't I didn't get her phone number or contact information. But six months later, I was in Richmond, and uh, three of us met for lunch. And she didn't have a copy of uh, Handel's Messiah, and it was Christmas time. So so I sent her that in the mail. It was the old Handel's Messiah routine, and it worked. So <laughs> she wrote me a thank you note. I wrote her back, and a couple years later, we got married. Instead so, of love at first sight, it was love at it, first sound. It was love at first sight for me. Yeah. It took her a while. Yeah. Of course, keeping at a distance and writing good letters was really my only hope, but uh, it worked. So She reciprocated. She did. And God bless you with three children. Give us a little recap of where your kids are today. Our older daughter, Katie, is married to an educator, uh, an, edu- an educational consultant, uh, Princeton Vanderbilt, Lada Memphian, David Hill. Katie has been a realtor. Uh, she's an artist. She does children's portraits. She just got a part-time job, an interim job, really, with the Brooks Museum. And she was an art history and German major at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. So she's mainly a mom of four boys uh, who are the delight of our lives. My son, Seth, was on staff here at First of Ann for a couple of years. He also went to Dallas Seminary, by the grace of God, and he's now a pastor in Clovis, California, which abuts um, Fresno. He has twin sons who will be two years old and uh, less than three weeks, and we do FaceTime with them every day. And uh, Seth arrived last February, and he had to shut the church down in March. So it's been really a rough go for a new pastor in California. But he loves the Lord, and he believes he's in God's will, and we're very grateful for that. He also married a Memphian called Jennifer. And those two marriages are the reasons that our roots are here. I mean, Memphis is our new home because it's the home of two of our children. Our third born, Ruth, who was born in Munich, is unmarried. She's also a graduate of Moody and Dallas Seminary, as as was Seth. Seth also went to Moody. And she teaches at really a Rolls Royce of Christian schools in in Dallas called Trinity Christian Academy. And she there are 250 faculty in that Christian school. So it's a wonderful place to be. She did two years as a missionary teacher in Turkey, and she did, I think, maybe six or eight years at Christ Methodist School here teaching yeah. in the elementary class. Yeah, yeah. So those are our three kids. And so we left it last time where God had led you from pastoring the last church in the United States in North Carolina. You went to, first of all, to Munich, Germany, and then as the uh, Soviet Empire started to crumble in 91 is when you were able to go and pastor the Moscow Bible Church, I believe it was. That's correct. How long were you there? I was only there two years. I was in Munich for six years working behind the Iron Curtain. I lived on the inside for two years. Then we moved to Memphis because the darkness in Moscow was not endurable for my wife. And I would say, you know, we had all these missionaries in Munich and Vienna, which were the two main spots, mostly Vienna, who were working in Eastern Europe. And, you know, they couldn't, we couldn't move into Eastern Europe because it was communist. And we have all these donors who are helping us live in these Western European capitals so we can work in Eastern Europe. Well, then when the wall fell, we had to ask ourselves, well, how serious are we? 
if this was really the target. I mean, I did have an English congregation in Munich, but that's not why I moved overseas. And I love that church. And Munich is the most beautiful place we've ever lived. It's Every time I go back there, I begin to whimper and say, why did I leave? It's so gorgeous. But when the wall fell, we moved in. And then uh, after a wonderful uh, almost nine years in Memphis, we moved back. So the call to come to Memphis from Moscow did you already know about First Evangelical Church? You know, I did. Uh, I knew about First Evan simply because I noticed it in the Dallas Seminary Alumni Directory. And Earl Stevens, who was what a great uh, guy. An, an institution yes. at First Evan, yes. was a Dallas Seminary graduate. I think he, he graduated from Dallas in like 1941. And then one of my professors, uh, Dr. Dwayne Litvin, succeeded him. Now, I also knew about First of Anne because, uh, and this is, I don't know if the people at First of Anne would consider this a curse or a blessing, but there were three members of the search committee for a new pastor whom I knew, all from different places for different reasons. They contacted me pretty quickly in the search, and I told them, look, and they, they asked for my resume, and I said, I can't send you my resume because I have a job here. And I don't want Russians asking me why my resume's in Memphis. And they actually contacted me several times. And the time came when I realized that my wife's health was really falling under the threshold of endurance. And so, what were the signs of that, Ronnie? How, well, how bad did it depression get? mainly. Yes, yeah, depression and uh, lethargy. Just it's it's just a cloud sets in. Uh, there are a lot of people who live in northern latitudes who deal with this. It's called SAD, Seasonal Affective Disorder. Yeah. And, you know, she struggles with it here. She's much more buoyant and positive in the months with a lot of sunshine. Yeah, my wife, I told you, our last program is the exact same way. Okay, so finally you believe that God wants you to come to Memphis. Yes, I did. So in the summer of 1994, Actually, I was supposed to begin at First Event on August 15th, 1994. That's the day my father died. So it's ironic after being away for eight years and finally now being at least closer, they were in Georgia, of course, to you know having fellowship with my mother and father on the very day I was supposed to begin, my dad went to heaven. Wow. So, 67, I believe you told me. 67 years old, yes. So what was it like, the transition for your family? I mean, going from the culture of, of Russia, uh, being overseas for so long, how did it affect your kids and your wife? Well, and, for my well, older— Your wife, it was probably good because of the changes of the darkness. Oh, yes. It was much—it uh, was a hallelujah time for Jane. Yeah. Um, the move from Munich to Moscow was much harder for my older daughter. No 13-year-old wants to move. And no one who lives in Munich wants to live in Moscow. And it would have been cushioned if we were moving to a real cool, hip place, you know, like Paris or Denver or Palm Beach. But the Germans don't think that much of Russia. And for her friends, for her peer group, and she went to German schools, um, for her peer group to think, you're moving to Moscow? It was like the end of the world. So that bridge had already been crossed. Yeah, and I think sometimes people forget when they hear a family's answering a call to serve overseas in a mission capacity, they forget sometimes that, hey, they're human too. They have to deal with a lot of different emotions, adjustments. When our family moved from Memphis to Guam, even as a tropical island, our oldest son was 12 at the time. 
And uh, he was convinced that the Lord had called his parents to be missionaries, but not him. And for the first several months, he would cry himself to sleep at night because he was already so well established here. You know, he was tracking with friends, playing sports, and we just uprooted him from all of that. So I think sometimes people think there's this holy circle that, you know, circles around missionaries, but they have to deal with the same issues that families deal with. Well, in Matthew nineteen twenty nine and in other passages, Jesus speaks of answering his call as a forsaking of family. And we have to be very careful with what that does mean and what it doesn't mean. But sometimes you forsake your family not by leaving them, but by taking them with you. It can work out that way for the children. And some missionary children are scarred. Yes, Missionary kids, MKs, of course, this is a generalization. There are lots of exceptions, but in many ways, they're like the children of alcoholics. They either become teetotalers or they become alcoholics themselves. And a high percentage of MKs either feel cheated because they were dragged to foreign venues or they feel privileged that they could be a part of something so exciting. So many times they either go into ministry or they wander from the faith. So you're at First Evangelical Church here in Memphis for nine years, and then you go back to Europe. Well... <laughs> you know, some people who are alumni of First of Ann, I mean, most of the people at First of Ann don't remember me now. I mean, I've been gone 18 years. Some alumni will remember this, so I, I want to be honest and, and diplomatic at the same time. But I'll, I'll put it this way. I think in many ways, being overseas for eight years unfitted me for a North American pastorate. Here's what I mean by that. In the in the eight years I was gone, the larger churches, and First of Ann is the only larger church I've ever pastored, the larger churches were becoming more corporate. And the more the church became more corporate, the more the senior pastor had to be more like a CEO. And the more the senior pastor had to be like a CEO, the less qualified I was to be a senior pastor. And I've never loved a church like I loved First of Ann. We owe everything to First of Ann, and it certainly didn't stop when we left Memphis. If anything, it increased because of the extravagance of their generosity to support missionaries. But I didn't feel that my gifts were such a great fit. And I think that ideally, when any minister makes a move, well, when anybody makes a move, period, if you're a Christian, it's ideal to have a push and a pull. I did not leave, in in spite of the assessment of my own deficits that I just made, the day I decided to move back to Eastern Europe, there was zero push. It was 100% pull. It was actually through a key Bible verse that I felt God was speaking and showing me that we needed to move to Budapest, and it happened quite dramatically. I actually got on a plane and flew to Hungary in January January 2002, to speak at a conference. And the Lord did a series of things that were sort of got me uh, staggering on my feet a little bit. But then I got in the car to go to the airport, and uh, the driver, whom I'd baptized in secret in 1987, he said something which really lined up with that Bible verse. And when I got in the car, I, I was planning on staying in Memphis. When I got it, by the time I got out the airport, I knew we had to go to Budapest. I'll, t- I'll tell you what it was. There was, there's a verse in Psalm 60, repeated in Psalm 109, that says in one translation, who will lead me into the besieged city? 
even before I moved to Munich, I believed that God was calling me through that verse. And it plagued me, and it stayed with me. And I would always try to suppress it and think, you know, you're being mystical. I could never defend that interpretation to a seminary professor. But, you know, there's some things you can't, um, you can't defend, but you also can't deny. They're there, and it stayed with me. Yeah. And before I got out of the car, my driver, who was a friend and on Campus Crusade staff in Hungary, said these words, you realize Budapest is the most besieged city in the history of the world. He said those words to he you. He said those words to me, and I just about fainted. And I thought, he has no idea what he just did. And I thought, how am I going to explain this to Jane? <laughs> so now you become pastor at the Danube International Church in Budapest, Hungary. Correct. I actually have swum, swum, swam, you know, got in the water at the Danube when I was in Austria, you know, I think I told you I, I spent a summer with Operation Mobilization. Mm-hmm. Of course, the Danube, being the longest river in Europe, comes into Austria. Yeah, and well, so, we associate uh, the Danube with Vienna, yeah. but the the river is actually not very prominent in Vienna. You could be in Vienna a week and go to all the famous places and never see the Danube. Right. In Budapest, it's dramatic. I mean, Budapest is the Danube. And it actually Budapest Budapest is two cities, um, Buda on the uphill side and Pest on the downhill side, and it's it's the thing that divides the cities is the river. So uh, the Danube is everything in Budapest. So somebody from this fellowship contacted you, or how did you? Well, know what it? happened was um, <laughs> it's funny. I, I I couldn't sleep one night, and that's the case now, but it wasn't the case then, and so I was. <laughs> up at 2 a.m., and I, a godly person who just prayed and studied his Bible, well, I wanted to talk to somebody, so I called Moscow. And the husband wasn't home, and I chatted with the wife for a little while. These were brilliant missionaries. And apropos of what, I don't know, but the, this missionary lady, her name is Cindy Barrett, said to me, hey, I think you all should move to Budapest. And it's like, if you knew her, it's like, God loves you, and Cindy Barrett has a wonderful plan for your life. (laughs) So I just humored her for a minute, and I said, yeah, that's great, Cindy. Tell Stephen I said, hello, got to go. And I just kind of rolled my eyes. Well, I get to first of end that morning, and my secretary hands me an email from Budapest, which says, when you're here for the conference later in the month, there's some members of a search committee who want to talk to you about moving to Budapest and pastoring a church. And I just threw that paper down and shook my head, and I thought, that's Cindy Barrett. She's so plugged into the cosmos, you know. But I didn't think anything about it. But I was going there to do a conference and uh, at the end of January 2002, and it was at that conference that I was approached. Well, I told them no, and forget about me. And then two other things happened, the main thing being what this driver said to me before I got out of the car at the airport. Wow. Isn't God amazing? He is amazing, and it was it was the right thing. You know, I've been reading in Mark, and one of the things that stands out to me that Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, the heart being receptive to hear the voice of God, yeah. you know? And in Matthew 6, he talks about the eye. If your eye is whole, everything's going to be all right. But if your eye is not whole, everything's going to be darkness. So it's the, it's the ear and the eye. We need to pay attention. Beautifully written, reflective, thoughtful, poetic, theologically sound, inspiring, and encouraging. 
David S. Dockery, president of Trinity International University, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, said that about your new book, From Creation to Covenant, A Year in Genesis. Well, um, God will forgive him for hyperbole. (laughs) And let me just say, and I say this quite honestly, David Dockery is probably the most gracious person I've ever met. And... um, (laughs) And he's he's no he's retired now for a second time. He was president of Union for many years, which is why he's well known in Tennessee. And then he went to one of the most prestigious seminaries in the world, Trinity, near Chicago. In the last year, he is retired, and he now has uh, some huge executive posts with the Southern Baptists in his third or fourth career. And he lives in Fort Worth. We're still in touch. As a matter of fact, I probably shouldn't say this till it happens, but. We're trying to write a book together right now. Okay. Sort of like saying, you know, me and Michael Jordan can beat anybody (laughs) two-on-two. David's published maybe 40 books. Well, you dedicated this book to your sister, Lynn Marie, and in memory of your father, Marvin Stevens. What do you remember best about Marie growing up? Lynn. Lynn. Lynn Marie. Well, the main thing I remember is how much smarter she is than than I. (laughs) I graduated 33rd in our high school class, and the school was not that big, and she graduated third, went to college on a, an academic scholarship, and she got my dad's engineering aptitude. And so the family business in Georgia was called Stephen Steele. And after my father died, she moved to Montana and started something called Stephen Steele West. And I, I rarely see her, but by the grace of God, I had a preaching assignment in Bozeman, in July. So we were in Montana the whole month of July, and we were able to go up and visit her in Whitefish, which is quite close to the Canadian border. So I dedicated the first book to my mom, the memory of my mom, the second book to my wife, and so the third book was to my sister and the memory of my father. That's great. What, Ronnie, amazes you about God creating a covenant with a particular people? As we read here in Genesis. Well, the most amazing thing about God is grace. John Newton has memorialized that thought in the most famous hymn in English history, Amazing Grace. Because, you see, the reason for the choice of Abram had nothing to do with virtue in the creature. It had everything to do with sovereign grace in the initiator of the covenant. Abram was an idolater, and it's one of the great proofs of the authenticity of the biblical narratives is the fearlessness of the Scripture to record the blemishes of its heroes. And Abram, who became Abraham, of course, was the great patriarch. That means first father or leading father. So we look to him as a as a paragon, as as the model of a family leader. And yet, uh, twice, through amazing cowardice, he exposed his wife to danger. And the first time was more understandable because he had just began his walk with God, Genesis 12. The second time, Genesis 20, he'd been walking with God for a quarter century. And not only that, but by that time, he had been told when the baby would be born. So during her fertile period, he drops her off at a pagan harem. The, the the amazing thing is just God's grace in having a covenant with anybody. He could have um, destroyed the human race after the first sin in the garden, and he would not have been unjust. And yet, 
he continually amazes us with his grace. Wow, that's so great. Uh, did something new come to light? I know you spent more time, I'm sure, as you prepared to write the book, as you spent time in Genesis. Uh, in your study, did something maybe stand out to you, maybe that you hadn't seen before as you were preparing to write this book? Well, this happens a high percentage of times every time I read the Scripture. The Scripture is the product of an infinite mind. Therefore, we never get to the end of it. I suppose the greatest novel I've ever read is War and Peace, and there's a lot in War and Peace, but you can get to the end of it. You can get to a point, I mean, maybe not one person, but in the aggregate, where you say about everything you can say about War and Peace. Well, you can never see everything that's in the Scripture. That shows that it's not only alive, but it's the product of something bigger than your understanding. And even in heaven, obviously, our knowledge will be greatly expanded, but it will never become exhaustive. Yeah. We will never become omniscient. We will always be learning new things. And we get the first installment of that experience when we read the Bible. So, yes, all the time I saw new things. The book is called From Creation to Covenant, A Year in Genesis by Ronnie Collier Stevens, and it is available for you, friend, right now at rampartpublications.com along with uh, two other books by Ronnie Stevens, uh, Pathway to Discipleship. The Path to Discipleship and The Path yes. to the Cross. Yes, Path to, thank you. That's the second book. Just a quick word I want to mention, too. I think it's interesting. The publication company, Rampart, Kathy Bloxham, was serving crew in Germany and attended your church. I thought this was a great story. She served in Europe there for about 9, 10, 11 years or so. She's now in California, and she is running Rampart Publications and making your books available, and I think it's a great story. She is Rampart Publications, <laughs> she and she was actually in Austria, and I had the privilege when I was in Munich of preaching at a little international Baptist chapel in Salzburg about once a month, because the whole six years we were in Munich, they didn't have a pastor. So our church met in the late afternoon, their church met in the morning, so I could jump on a train early in the morning preach in Austria in the morning and uh, Germany in the afternoon, and that's how I got to know Kathy. Well, she told me when I talked to her on the phone, see, I've never heard anybody teach God's Word like Ronnie Stevens. Well, she didn't get out much. (laughs) Well, Ronnie, hey, this has been great. Thank you for spending these two programs with us. Again, friend, the book is From Creation to Covenant, A Year in Genesis. It's a daily devotion, so this is a great time to go ahead and get the book now. You can start at any time, but get a copy of the book Go to rampartpublications.com. If you're local here in Memphis, you can go to Second Presbyterian Bookstore or Independent Press Bookstore and get a copy. Ronnie, it's always a pleasure to see you, my dear friend. Pleasure's all mine. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.